This is the Writer Who Reads podcast coming to you direct from New Orleans, Louisiana. Hello! Welcome in! This is Kate Austin, the writer who doesn't read enough. And this is Trapper Kinchin, the writer who doesn't write enough. And welcome to episode 8. Yes, I feel like we should have Vivaldi playing in the background because spring is upon us. Yes, uh, who is that? The Four Seasons. Dun, 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 da, 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 da. I'm glad that one of us always like embarrasses <laughs> ourselves with singing <laughs> for every episode. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> From Solange to Vivaldi. Vivaldi, yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so you gave away our theme. I did, which is rebirth. Rebirth, because spring is upon us. Yes, and Easter is almost here. Yeah, so, I mean, that was an easy theme. It was, and yeah. I'm excited, and I get to start this go-round. Yes, yes, with your author who I know absolutely nothing about. An author that I still know very little about, <laughs> because she's very mysterious. Okay, I was about to say, because you did bad research? No, I did plenty. I did all the research humanly possible, which... Is it much? It's not much. Okay. But I am excited about her, and I'm mm-hmm. excited about the text that I've chosen, because it's a complete and utter departure Ooh. from anything we've done thus far. Great, yeah, I'm ready to mix up a little bit. Yeah. All right, perfect. Let's get into that. The author I've chosen for today's discussion is Hannah Hernard, and she was a British woman. So the Louisiana in me wants to say Hannah Hernard. The American in me wants to say Hannah Hernard, but I'm pretty sure because she's British, it's Hernard. Earlier, I was just like, Hannah Bernard? <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I'm not surprised you haven't heard of her because uh-huh. she's not exactly well known. Um, she was born in 1905. I don't know the exact date of her birth. And she was born in Colchester, England. She was raised Quaker, and both of her parents were extraordinarily devout. But the older Hernard became, the duller she found Quaker meetings, and she began to resent going to church on Sundays, which is very interesting. And the little I know about Quakerism, it's like the lowest of low church, meaning no formality, I'm pretty sure they don't even have preachers. I think they just, everybody takes a turn speaking. I know some weird, like, not weird facts about it, but, like, more than I would think that I would know about right. Quakerism. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that cameras aren't allowed I there. I know that. Because I follow this lesbian couple on YouTube, and they're really cute. Oh. And they had a wedding there, and they had someone come in and draw oh, that's pictures of the scene, and it's beautiful. Yeah. So, yeah, that's all I know about yeah. that. And Quakers, I think, are famous for pacifism. They don't participate in war no matter the cause wow they don't yeah yeah, so that's all i know about quakerism but she was raised quaker did not seem to enjoy going to quaker services even as a little girl she was never able to quote unquote feel god when she prayed the way that everybody else in the church seemed to experience him and she didn't enjoy reading the bible either which i guess as a quaker that's one of the main i didn't know they read the bible yeah well they're christians oh i didn't know they were christians they are they are christians (laughs) They are indeed. And the older Hernard got, the more she doubted her Christian faith. And she even questioned the existence of God after a while. She felt like her prayers were never answered. Mm -hmm. And so she felt like it was just her talking into space. Like a waste of time. Exactly. Mm -hmm. She had a serious problem with fear, and she always stammered when she spoke. And she often referred to her long list of phobias as crippling terrors. So it wasn't just somebody who didn't like spiders or heights. She had... trouble doing little things 
which probably is a symptom of the fact that she didn't have a great home life. If you don't feel like you fit in with your family and stuff, I mean, yeah. that's got to yeah. cause all kinds of emotional distress. Exactly. Like anxiety. <clears throat> yes. By the time Hernard was 19, she was considering suicide, but she was too afraid to follow through. Oh my gosh. I know. She was worried that if God were indeed real and she killed herself, she wouldn't gain admittance into heaven. Mm. And I'm sure she was also afraid of, you know, the pain too. Yeah, exactly. Around the same time she was thinking about killing herself, her father took her to a quote-unquote holiness revival meeting, which was to last a week. She went reluctantly, and she wound up hating the meeting, of course. Yeah. Um, she believed the other people's spiritual experiences had to be superficial because she had never really had a meaningful relationship with God. So when she was at this revival, she was watching the way people were reacting, and she was thinking, this is all a show. There's no way they're experienced. This is sounding a lot like me. Right. And I feel attacked. <laughs> don't. 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 Okay. I'm just presenting some facts here. Yeah, this is all... This is interesting. And yeah, it's because whenever I first started doing research on her, uh-huh. I all I knew is that she was somebody who had written some religious fiction. That, which is mm-hmm. very interesting. Yes. Yeah. And I don't know if you identify with any of the rest of this. Uh-huh. Please speak up. Okay. Her father took her to this revival as a means of kind of bringing her back into, I don't know, uh, lightening her spirits a little. Mm-hmm. Um, but ironically, at the revival, she felt extremely isolated and left out, even farther from you know her family and faith dynamic. So during the week of the meeting, she took some time alone in her room and begged God to reveal himself to her. It was a serious situation where she's like, if you're real, this is going to have to happen, or Hannah Hernard is done. So she subsequently opened her Bible and flipped to 1 Kings chapter 18. And that part of 1 Kings details Elijah on Mount Carmel challenging the prophets of Baal. Okay, and that story is very interesting if anybody wants to read it. He basically calls down the power of God and kills like 2,000 prophets. Okay. So that sounds like the worst passage, know, actually. You're like, thinking, like she's going to go outside of her room and just kill everyone. Why not flip to like, you know, <laughs> milk and honey or something? I know, like... Something about my lamb, I love you, or whatever is in the Bible. But even though it's a kind of a violent passage, it functioned as an inspirational passage for Hernard. In the moment she read it, she felt as though God was calling her to sacrifice all of her fears, all of her misgivings, and serve him. Totally, 100%. So, she graduated from Ridgelands Bible College, which was a two-year university designed to prepare people for mission work. In 1926 is when she graduated. After graduating, she joined the Friends Evangelical Band. It wasn't musical. It was like a band of people who would go around. uh, (laughs) It wasn't musical. It was a group that kind of was designed to further prepare her for life on the mission field. (laughs) I'm sorry. This is just very interesting. (laughs) No, you're here. The life of this woman so far can be a movie. Really? I don't want to be disrespectful. No. Let's just keep going. Wait, like, how are you feeling about this? I feel like I want to talk about it more after. But okay. She's just, she's so unsure about religion, mm-hmm. yet she just somehow <laughs> winds up in this band of people dedicated. I was like, girl, there are so many other things that you could have done and just still been kind of unsure. Yeah. <laughs> But we'll talk about her motivations. I I, I wanted to pause this, but I want to keep all of this. Okay. After graduating from college, she joined the Friends Evangelical Band, which was not an actual band. It was just a group of people. Okay. They weren't playing music. 
Um, and the group kind of was designed to further prepare her for a life on the mission field. Um, it was an interdenominational mission group doing evangelical works in villages in England and Ireland. So they were kind of going out and doing the sort of things missionaries do, but at home yeah. rather than abroad. Is that even a missionary? <clears throat> I, I guess you can tell. I thought the, like, the idea was to go like, well, abroad. I think when you're home, you're an evangelist, and mm. that's why it was kind of an evangelic, okay. evangelistic group. And their motto was, quote-unquote, ready for anything. So, <laughs> but not outside of the country. Not outside of the country. <laughs> Her family was actually really embarrassed and shocked that she was traveling around the countryside. They wanted her at home, going to the Quaker meetings, being a part of the community. Mm. And so they were kind of, I don't know, I guess disgruntled at the idea of her putting herself out there. That's so strange because I thought that I was just trying to like drill my mind on how she could be so... Uh, not sure about right. religion and then come back to it so actively mm-hmm. and I just assume that it was it was one of the reasons might have been because her parents her relationship with her parents right you know because there's a lot of things that my parents would want me to do mm-hmm. that would make them happy and make us sure. closer but I'm not willing to do that because right. of my identity but if she's like away from her parents mm-hmm. and they're not happy I this was not something she did for them because mm-hmm. they were press- pressuring her to stay at home wow. and I think their response to her mission work kind of explains to a certain degree her fears, her anxieties as a child, because there's no telling what kind of pressures were foisted upon her when she was little. Mm-hmm. If they're reacting that way to her doing something that you think they'd be proud of. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, and it was during her service with the Friends Evangelical that she began to work through her constant fears. And she actually stopped stuttering, mm. which had been a lifelong problem. After four years with the group during a visit to Ireland... She heard what she called a still small voice ask her, will you go and identify yourself with my people, Israel? And she was like, yeah, I will. So <laughs> she promptly moved to Haifa in British Palestine, and that was in 1932. And she went there to work as an independent missionary. And when she initially got the idea, she applied through an evangelical agency and she thought, okay, maybe I could be a secretary or something with a church group. And they said, we don't have any positions for you except we need a lady minister, basically. And they said, we can't get women to come here mm-hmm. to work with the Jewish people that live here in Palestine because the men are not interested in hearing women teach. I mean, this was 1932, and I don't know what the population there was like. But that was the impression they gave her. And she said, okay, I'll come and do it. <laughs> All right, fine, I'll do it. And... She lived in Palestine, which eventually became Israel, for 50 years. Mm-hmm. And she was actually there during the War of Independence that took place in 1940. Wait, she lived there for 50 years? Mm-hmm. for 50 years. She kept a home in England, but she lived in the Middle East for 50 years. Did her parents just, like, I don't know. want to have nothing to do with her after that? Because if they were angry, angry that she was going to Ireland. I know. I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know what her relationship was with her family, but yeah. based on the way she lived her life as an older adult, I don't think it would have mattered to her. Yeah. She probably was like, God is way more important than anything you have to say. I mean, for her to have a stutter and to have just fears in yes. general, for her to go and do this, this like public speaking right. something anywhere, like oh, far yeah. from home, that's a big deal. Oh, she was, she became very involved in many different aspects of like community service. Wow. Um, as part of her ministerial work, she actually served as a nurse in a hospital during the War of Independence mm-hmm. in 1948. She wrote, later wrote a kind of memoir entitled Unveiled Glory, 
and she described the experiences that she had during the war working as a medical professional. And um, she recounted one instance in particular where she was trying to help somebody in the midst of a conflict. And she wrote, those were perilous times. Here was a poor Muslim woman desperately needing medical help. And we decided to break curfew, steal away under the cover of darkness, and try to get through to the mission hospital away in the hills of Nazareth. It was a strange, tense drive. As the moon at last rose over the great shoulder of Mount Tabor, the woman became unconscious. We went rushing as speedily as possible up the hairpin bends of the hills until at last we reached the mission hospital. Then, just as the stretcher bearers gently carried the unconscious woman into the operating theater, she died. Wow. Yeah. So it was, was I imagine, intense. oh yeah, I imagine yeah. it was a pretty dangerous time. Yeah. And they were doing what they could um, to kind of help everybody. Mm-hmm. I'm not really familiar with the War of Independence that took place in 1948. I know that that's around the time that Britain fundamentally like gave Palestine to the mm. Jewish people after mm. World War II as like a, like a oh, homeland. Crap. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I don't know what kind of conflicts were going on, but I'm sure it was a very tense and dangerous time. And the conflict has not ended. <clears throat> exactly. Yeah. Here we are. I mean, that was 1948, and here we are in 70 years later. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. crazy. Right. So, and she was there, like I say, for 50 years. She left Israel in 1982. She was writing pretty well the whole time that she was serving on the mission field. And her works were, she produced fiction, she produced sort of essays, she produced autobiographies, all of it had very spiritual undertones. And her initial works were very popular at home in Britain and in the United States and Canada. Mm-hmm. Okay. Her most popular book, which is entitled Hind's Feet in High Places, was first published in Britain in 1955 by Christian Literature Crusade. That was the name of the publishing house. And many people believe that book in particular was influenced by John Bunyan's The Pilgrim's Progress. So people back home were eating this up. They're like, you know, this is great information. This is not just entertaining, but it's also enlightening too. Yeah. She later in her life kind of changed her, I don't know, approach to her faith. Her faith shifted. And she actually began preaching universal salvation later in life, which was very unpopular with the people who were reading her texts. However, her books continued to be published, but many evangelical Christians in Europe and the United States stopped buying them. Wait, so what is the universal ideology? Universal salvation and acceptance Uh is the idea that no matter what you believe, who you are, what you do, Mm-hmm. You you go to paradise, you go to heaven, oh. which kind of is contradictory to, well, Christianity, Judaism, yeah. Islam, the idea that, especially in Christianity, that there's only really one way yeah. into heaven, and that is through Christ. Yeah. And she's saying, no matter what you do, no matter... It's crazy, because that's like <laughs> believing in the supreme like love and forgiveness of, of God. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think religion was created to help kind of control people. So I can see why these like seriously devout evangelical Christians would be like, no, no. Yes, they weren't happy You're with it. You're surrendering a bit mm-hmm. of control thinking and, that. Oh, yeah. And in the older she got, the more kind of extreme her views became. Um, towards the end of her life, she kind of abandoned biblical principles in general. And she started to embrace the idea of reincarnation, which is totally 
and <laughs> like the antithesis yeah. of the Christian faith. That's interesting. Yes, and she died in 1990, and what I could find, she died in Florida on Marco Island. I don't know why she was there. That's what I'm she was. Florida. I mean, she was 85, and she was an old British lady, she so was like, she I'm might have, retire. Yeah. But uh, she died in 1990, and she was 85 years old. Wow. So she lived a long life, a long life of service, mm-hmm. and she evolved a great deal in her 85 years mm-hmm. as a person. Wow, so. so she was reborn Yes. a few times. Technically, yeah. Mm-hmm. She has a, t- a total sense of renewal throughout her life. And I mentioned Hind's Feet in High Places, which is her most popular book, and I've actually gonna, I've chosen that mm-hmm. as the text that we'll analyze of hers. Hind's Feet in High Places by Hannah Hernard. At last the storm gradually died down, the clamor on the mountains ceased, and it was time to resume the journey. However, the weather had broken completely, and though the storm itself was over, thick mist and clouds remained, shrouding everything on the heights. When they started, the mist was so thick that they could see only the trees on either side of the narrow path, and even they looked ghostly and unreal. The rest of the forest was simply swallowed up and entirely lost to sight, veiled in a cold and clammy white curtain. The ground was dreadfully muddy and slippery, and although the path did not climb nearly so steeply as before, after some hours, much afraid, found to her amazement that she was missing the rolling thunder of the storm, and even the sickening crash of the trees and the lightning splintering them. She began to realize that, cowardly though she was, there was something in her which responded with a surge of excitement to the tests and difficulties of the way, better than the easier and duller circumstances. It was true that fear sent a dreadful, shuddering thrill through her, but nevertheless, it was a thrill, and she found herself realizing with astonishment that even the dizzy precipice had been more to her liking than this dreary plodding on and on through the bewildering mist. In some way, the dangers of the storm had stimulated her. Now there was nothing but tameness, just a trudge forward day after day, able to see nothing except for white, clinging mist which hung about the mountains without a gleam of sunshine breaking through. At last she burst out impatiently. Will this dull, dreary mist never lift, I wonder? And would you believe it? A voice she knew all too well immediately answered from beyond the trees. Moreover, you might just as well know now that this is going to continue for no one knows how long. Higher up the mountains, the mist hangs thicker and thicker still. That's all you can expect for the rest of the journey. Much afraid pretended not to hear, but the voice went on again almost at once. Have you noticed, much afraid, that the path which you are following isn't going up the mountain at all, but is almost level? You've missed the upward way, and you are just going around and around the mountain in circles. Much afraid had not exactly noticed this fact, but now she could not help realizing that it was true. They were not climbing at all, but simply moving along the mountain with constant ups and downs, and the downs seemed to be getting more frequent. Could it be possible that they were really gradually descending the mountain instead of going up? In the bewildering mist, one simply could not see anything, and she found she had lost all sense of direction. On asking her companions what they thought about it, they answered rather shortly, because of course she ought not to have listened to any suggestion from resentment, that they were on the path which the shepherd had pointed out, and would certainly not allow anyone to persuade them to leave it. But, persisted much afraid petulantly, don't you think that we may have missed the way in the mist? The shepherd said the path led upward, and as you can see, this one doesn't. It's running along the side of the mountain, 
There may easily have been a more direct way up which we didn't notice in the mist. Their only answer was that they knew better than to listen to any suggestion made by resentment. At that, the voice of bitterness broke in quite clearly. You might at least be willing to go back a little way and look, instead of insisting on going on and on along what may prove to be a wrong path leading you round in circles. Sorrow and suffering took absolutely no notice, but unfortunately much afraid did, and said with still greater petulance, I think you ought to consider the suggestion. Perhaps it would be better to go back a little way and see if we missed the right path. Really, it is no use going on and on in circles, getting nowhere. To this they replied, Well, if we are going round in circles, we shall eventually arrive back where we went wrong, and if we keep our eyes open, we shall be able to see the path we missed, always provided that it does exist and is not just a bit of imagination on the part of bitterness. You poor little thing, came the whisper of self-pity through the mist. It's too bad that you have been put in the charge of such obstinate mule-like creatures. Just think of the time you're wasting, getting nowhere at all. Trudge, trudge, day after day, nothing to show for it, and you ought to be getting up into the high places. So they went on, whispering and talking at her through the clinging mist, which shrouded everything and made it all seem so ghostly and dreary. Of course, she ought not to have listened to them, but the mist was so bewildering and the path was so unspeakably tame that she found something in her heart responding to them almost against her will. Okay, so that was stressful. <laughs> <laughs> and not just because her punctuation is impossible, according impossible, to you. Yeah. I was telling you that reading it silently, which one does when one is, you know, reading. Yeah. You're, you're, you said, you know, your mind just rolls over the punches. You don't, yeah. You don't get caught up on funny punctuation or long sentences. Like, you correct it. Like, you're like, oh, I read that weird. Let right. me go back. And it's like point exactly. two seconds. When you're doing it out loud, you're like, yes. wait, this isn't making sense. I need to do it again. So, yeah. First impressions of her writing, <laughs> her writing style, um, very, ooh, I don't know how to say it. I was going to say very stumbly, but okay. I didn't want to sound like that. <laughs> but yeah, it's, the content is good. I said that to you before. But you think she's cumbersome in her writing, maybe. Thank right? you. Yes, yeah. cumbersome. Yes, and you know, it may seem strange that I've chosen A, this author, and B, this reading, because you know this is not my standard fare when it comes to the literature I consume. Yeah. But I, I chose it for a reason. We chose the topic of rebirth, uh -huh. which is difficult. A, how do you find an author that focuses on that? And then B, how do you find a text that's relevant? And Hind's Feet on High Places is a story about change yeah. it's an incredible allegory when you get to the the meat of it hernard as an author i think is limited in her ability to express herself yeah because the story really i was while you were reading it i was thinking how much it like parallels her life yes. i was picturing her as a scared girl in england just battling all of these like, emotions right and you only read an excerpt i want to make that clear it's mm -hmm. just an excerpt from the it's a short story right Oh, it's, it's a, a full novel. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you only read an excerpt. Was that the beginning? That was chapter 12, I think, of oh. like 30. Okay. So midway. Yeah. So it's just her starting on this journey accompanied by all of these personified emotions right. that are all generally just negative. Well, you know, and and it's it's really incredible because the main character, of course, his name is Much Afraid, mm -hmm. which, I mean, like you said, that's Hernard when yeah. she was a young woman. And her companions, which I think that they're referenced briefly in the passage I read, are suffering and sorrow. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't like having them around, 
but they really come in handy because she's walking through the mist on this mountainside in bitterness, self-pity, resentment, mm-hmm. which are you know personifications of they're, they're people that don't want her to get to the high places basically yeah exactly and so um i want to explain the gist of the novel just so it's it's clear yeah, so like we can where, discuss where it goes it starts off with her work living in a like a valley okay, okay? and there's this little community and she, her name is much afraid and she's a member of the fearing family okay. and she has all these cousins and uncles and aunts and they basically abuse her constantly it's terrible. Yeah. But she works for, because Hernard is a Christian author, Much Afraid works for The Good Shepherd okay. in the valley. Uh-huh. And The Good Shepherd, he has like different people who work for him, and their names are like Valiant and stuff. So these are... I'm getting like these weird like sci-fi vibes. <laughs> it's like, totally vibes. dystopian. It's, <laughs> it's like Christian dystopian. Well, yeah, right? but a little cliche. It, like, right. It's, it's odd. She's writing in 1950, and I don't know what else there would have been like this. This might, I was saying, this might be like trailblazing. Maybe. I mean, look, I don't know what kind of, I, I'm like, what kind of Christian writing was being produced in 1950? This was probably earth shattering, because it was fiction, you know? Yeah. It wasn't just, but it's basically the story about Much Afraid, climbing up the mountain, crossing deserts, all these different things to get to the high places, which, as a Christian, you know, one's life is about trying to strive to be Christ-like, which is this idea of perfection. Yeah. And Much Afraid is trying to get to a place of self-acceptance and confidence so that she can, you know, serve the body of Christ. And so it's about that journey, and at this point she's on her way to the high places. And every time she thinks she's getting somewhere, it seems like counterproductive. Like bitterness she, trips her. Oh, and there's <laughs> it's pride, bitterness. Yeah. Her, she's a cousin named Craven Fear that like harasses her constantly. But through it all, sorrow and suffering, mm-hmm. who are twin sisters and enormous and strong, they help her get through it. Interesting. It is, and so the novel actually ends. I don't. I don't know. I, yeah. I'm not oh, ruining spoilers. I'm not ruining it. 1950. <laughs> but it it ends with her totally changing physically because much afraid is is uh she's got like withered feet and she's described as very ugly and she's not able to speak clearly and throughout the journey she physically changes Mm -hmm. and she changes on the inside too so that by the end of it she's been reborn and she's able to go to the high places with the good shepherd so i chose the book because i appreciate symbolism Mm -hmm. i appreciate allegory and this book does a really good job at applying those techniques. Unapologetically. Yes. This yeah. is not subtle. Mm-mm. This is not a... You know, it was compared to the to the Pilgrim's Progress. Yeah. Which, I mean... Have you ever read The Pilgrim's Progress? No. That's another, that's another religious book, but... And I appreciate... I really do appreciate that. Only because this book is written in the 1950s. Right. For me, if someone handed me a Christian novel, right. I would give it away yes to jesus mm-hmm. but <laughs> since this was written in 1950 and it seems like the first of its kind there's probably yeah. an older author out there who's like how dare you right. um from the grave <laughs> but <laughs> because it's the first of its kind i'm like oh this is very creative if i read this book now i'd be like uh this has been done and you know and she was writing this i have to believe from a place of wanting to help other people this was a woman who was suicidal at 19 mm mm-hmm. mhm you know, um, this was a woman who had no self-confidence, mm-hmm. who didn't believe, had no faith. And 
you take you go from that to being a woman who's driving an ambulance yeah in Israel mm-hmm. during the war of independence trying to save lives that's a total turn about face you yeah know? and I think what she's doing through this is saying to people don't ever despair the journey is tough exactly you're gonna feel like you're sliding back 90% of the time but you're always going up mm-hmm. you're moving forward and so I think that's what it's about and I don't know if Hernard could have been a great, marvelous, celebrated author had she just been a woman in England writing. Or if she had maybe not been a completely Christian writer. Right. I feel like anyone who's too far into mm-hmm. one subject, or look, yeah. I don't know, I want to say Christianity is a subject, but one niche, right. like it's harder to reach the masses and be this great, famous author. And I don't know that she had a whole lot of, I think she had plenty of life experience the older she got. Mm-hmm. I don't know that she had a lot of... Uh, experience getting feedback for her writing you know what I mean yeah. I feel like she was writing from a, a, a really innocent place and I think it reflects in, in the way the words are laid on the page you know I was reading and I was like my gosh this is a paragraph long sentence with parentheses stuck in the middle mm-hmm. or with no commas here too many commas there and it frustrates it, oh, no you can go ahead. I'm sorry I was just saying it's, it's not an old novel you know you expect to read something from the 18th century and right. stumble a bit and be like I don't know what this word means yeah. this com- this comma just shouldn't be here right. but for this you're like this is this is not that long ago this is enough this is modern writing man. yeah exactly so so you don't expect to stumble and I remember we were <laughs> you were reading it and I was like this sounds like someone who was not trained in writing right and not and she wasn't not that you have to be right. but you know and and you know so I think it's as frustrating as I found it trying to read this passage aloud. Mm-hmm having some time to reflect I'm now able to say it's very pure that's a great explanation it really is very pure I would give this to a child yes and and you have to understand too I think she's writing this from an innocent place and also trying to appeal to as many people as possible Mm -hmm. she's not trying to write Wordsworth yeah it's not intelligentsia you know she's not trying to to sound brilliant or wise and I think that's probably part of why she's writing this to say y'all you all I'm just a, a regular woman mm-hmm. there's not much special about me but God's love is redemptive I mm-hmm. think that's the message in the book and you know her views on faith did evolve over time they went beyond the bounds of Christianity mm-hmm. and I think probably you know we do a lot of speculating on this podcast oh definitely but I think probably the fact that she went from a Quaker upbringing to at the end of her life believing in reincarnation I think she had just an absolute special relationship with her faith at the end of her life she had an openness she and did. I think as I've got older personally I I was raised Catholic but yeah. I just gradually just shook off all like the, the teachings or the right. lessons or whatever and I just I'm left with this openness to anything spiritual and that seems kind of like what she's done, mm-hmm. you know? It seems that way. Yeah. And, you know, the principles that she applies in the book and the principles that she carried into the later part of her life, she kept the fundamentals, I think, of all faith, mm-hmm. which is that I am not alone and that I can always, there's no point in giving up because I can always be better. And I think that's kind of the crux of the book. If you read through the whole novel, she does a really pretty job um, with landscape. She creates a dystopian universe. The whole novel, I think, takes place within like a human soul. Oh, and that's she creates, interesting. And she creates desert panoramas 
like ocean oceanic expanses, yeah. mountainsides, precipices. Yeah, but you th- you would think it's when you said that just now that would be incredible. I, I don't think I've heard enough of it or read enough uh, of it to to make any claims about the setting of the story. But for it to be for this beautiful valley that has mm-hmm. some hazardous bits where her terrible past yes. reside and the peak and that's like the ultimate place yes. where she wants to be like this could all be contained in one person's soul mm-hmm. because I was having a lot of trouble with these personified emotions right. and everything kind of just like whispering <laughs> her ear and like riding her back yeah. up the mountain like it just it sounded a little bit strange to me right. and it just brought me back to when we were talking about her history and you were saying that she heard a voice telling her to go be a missionary right. abroad like I, I was just like is she hearing voices? You know, you always think that when someone's like, I heard God tell me to do this. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, are you, are you just hearing voices? Right. And then you go to this book and this chapter where it's like character hearing voices too. Mm-hmm. But if you kind of frame it from the perspective of this being one soul, then those personified emotions kind of become just her thoughts. Yes. And it's just actually her physically alone. But it could be like this dystopian uh, universe where she's walking up a mountain what cooler dystopian universe could there be than the human soul? Yeah. I mean, if, I don't, it's... Complex. It is, and, and it's unexplored. Yeah, exactly. She does her best at it, and she, she printed like over, or she wrote over 20 works in her life, uh-huh. and they were consumed, and people found a lot of use in them, mm-hmm. both with and with, like, within and without the Christian community. I think that they were read in general what was appealing about her writing then and now because a lot of people still read Heinz feet is that there is no judgment condemnation or pressure attached to it mm. this is not preaching it's a parable it is yeah this is not about the confines of religion you know you were talking about your briefly your personal experience mm-hmm. growing up as a catholic yes she abandons all doctrine, mm-hmm. all of the sort of um, ritualism that kind of shrouds Christianity at times. Yeah. And what she's laying out is, here's here's Christ, mm-hmm. which is who is the basis for Christianity. Does she say the word Christ, or is it all in, like, code, like, good shepherd? It's coded. Okay. It's good shepherd. And I think that makes it more accessible to it more is. people. She talks about the good shepherd whose father is the king. Yeah. And so it's... Okay. There's all... You know, so if, it's yeah. not like when you read... Lord of the Rings or um, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which are also like Christian allegories. Mm-hmm. Where you're, but you're kind of like, whoa, if you don't think about it, they're... they're I never noticed. I never knew that. Exactly. I never noticed it. I don't watch those things. Right. But, you know, <laughs> read them. <laughs> you don't watch those Yeah, I don't watch those movies. What are books? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, in this one, it, this is not hard to interpret as a, as a Christian. Oh, movie. yeah. And I, and I wanted to choose a, a Christian author. You know, we were talking about the topic of rebirth. And for me, I associate rebirth mm-hmm. with Easter, Easter yeah. and the resurrection. And so I was trying to find something that would be both faith-based and literary. And coming across her work, it was it was really pure and refreshing yeah. to read. It was a perfect marriage you, of those things. Oh yes, when you get when you pick this up, you fly through it. It's mm-hmm. not something that you've got to process heavily or that you've got to sit back and kick your and say, "Oh my gosh." Yeah. You get through it, and the message is so uplifting, too. Um, so I thought it was appropriate, particularly because the character goes from being much afraid, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to say what, but at the end of the story... She evolves. Her name has changed also. Oh, that's great. Her, not only does she physically change, but her name yeah. has changed, too. I want to go back to the... I just love the idea of this setting being the soul, yes. so I'm sorry if I'm going to keep bouncing no, back do to it. it. 
but it almost lets me forgive her writing style okay. because we were talking about how cumbersome it is. So it, it makes you forgive it because the soul is messy. There's lots of things going right. on. There's some ridiculous number out there. They're like, people think this many thoughts a day right. and it is overwhelming. So it makes sense that the writing might reflect yes. that messiness of, of a soul, especially one in turmoil. And also sharing your thought on that, the simplicity of our daily thoughts. Who sits down and pontificates with these like long words and, and considers these complex mm. things? I don't know about you, but when it comes to my emotions, the thoughts that surround them are fairly basic. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I am afraid. And quick. Yes. I, I am afraid, parentheses, in the middle of that right. fear, yes. but I am excited, you know? So and, 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 it plays and, off. And talking about that, let's go back to, I don't know, workshop 101 here uh-huh. in writing class. The fact that it was so hard for me to get through that, the character's journey is she's slipping. I mean, literally three paragraphs later from what I read, she's tripping, she's slipping in the mud. It says her progress is basically slithering up the mountain. Who knows? I mean, it could be very possible that Hernard wanted, wants you to struggle to get through the paragraph. Wow. To reflect much yeah. of Ray's journey. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Those are that those are techniques and devices you and I use as authors occasionally. Yeah. yeah. You know. I mean, but the idea of purposely making the language more complex. Yeah. Like I want to compare the beginning where it's it's hard mm-hmm. and really difficult for Much Afraid and the end where she reaches the top. Is right. it lighter? Is the writing is. easier to read? It is. Trapper. She sheds so much and the <laughs> writing becomes much more, the cadence becomes quickened and the wow. and clearer. I didn't think of that. This honestly. is this is the type of thing that I need to remember as a reader mm-hmm. because if I'm going into something and I'm like, <laughs> this writer sucks. Really, she's just being a genius in the first few know, chapters right? and then being a different type yes. of genius in the end. I well, that's that's great. Yeah, I mean, she and she does use a lot of different devices. I think it's difficult. I can't imagine me sitting down and saying, "Okay, this is what resentment is going to say," and it not sounding just straight demonic. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Resentment growled in my ear. Right, but here it's like resentment is saying, "Gee, doesn't it suck that you're having to climb up this mountain? Why yeah. didn't the good shepherd just pack you up the mountain?" Yeah. And then bitterness is saying. Hmm. Why won't your companions listen to you? Don't you think they could at least give you the consideration of, you know, consider what you're saying? So she's nuancing this. No, this book goes really deep because you have to consider each emotion, which ones need to be included, what exactly would they they say, and then also the the sheer amount of symbolism in there. It's huge. There's no telling. You know, I've never been suicidal, but I understand what it means to have really complex, overwhelming emotions. Mm -hmm. And when someone has been to a place where emotions are really complex and overwhelming, I think you know what to do with this. I mean, we both can probably relate to this, too. This is just one example because there are tons of very complex emotions. Mm -hmm. But being queer and trying to reconcile with those feelings, you know, based on the society that we live in and our parents' ideas. That is a journey. That's a journey, and, and it's filled with tons of emotions you, at once. Tell me, you don't feel like when you're young and you're trying to process who you are, mm-hmm. that your name isn't much afraid. Do you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. And you get to a point five, when you get to a point finally in your journey, where you reach not the end, but you reach a 
level of self-acceptance and self-love. Mm-hmm. And you do transform. Yeah, you and you shed away the, the negative emotions mm-hmm. that you associated with it. Hopefully everyone gets to that point sometimes. But this is in, in her novel, Hind's Feet on High Places. I forgot the name of it. And I'll explain the title in a second. Okay. In this, in this novel, it seems like there's a ton of negative emotions. But yes. that example was a little bit not on point because... I think there are a lot of beautiful emotions in that confusion, too. But There are, and she has them in there as well. Really? Oh, okay. She does. This is not just about resentment, bitterness, and fear. There's so much... Like, sorrow and suffering. But that's interesting that yeah. sorrow and suffering are kind of like heroes. They are. And uh-huh. when the good shepherd's like, I'm sending you up the mountain, yeah. these are the companions I've chosen for you. He said, yeah. there's sorrow and suffering. She goes, why didn't you give me joy and peace? Yeah. And he said, I could have given you joy and peace, but you would not have trans- you would not transform on the journey. Ah, and so initially, sorrow and suffering are these, they're veiled. Yeah. And they're enormous women. If this were a movie, I would be terrified. Oh, it's scary. I mean, there's some stuff in this that she she does a really good job of keeping it from becoming horrific. But yeah. But she's very upfront. She does not make any, the thing I love about it is yeah. you and I have both experienced heavy stuff. And we know there's no cure-all. There's no snapping the fingers. There's no, no praying away depression or mm-hmm. anxiety. It's a journey, and it's hard, and it's work. It's living until it doesn't matter anymore. (laughs) And that's what she's saying. Yeah. She's not saying, you know, sometimes Christians, I can say that because I am a Christian, but sometimes as Christians, the answer is, oh, just say a prayer, or just stop, or Mm -hmm. plead the blood of Christ. This This is the thing. Those are not answers to serious emotional problems. No, it's an it's an, an answer, but it's not the only it's, answer. Right. It can't be the only thing working. You know, you've got to your faith is not there to be taken like a tab of aspirin. You know, yeah. it's it's something to get you through the journey. Yeah. And that's what Hernard is saying. She's mm-hmm. not saying become a Christian because if you do so, yeah. look at how she's like you this, also have to climb the mountain. Oh yeah. yeah. And it's not easy and mm-hmm. it's hard. And I appreciate the fact that she's honest mm-hmm. it would be easy to make something to make it real lilty and flowery and say ah look you know oh yeah she tripped a couple of times but she got up the mountain this character it's such a long period of time it takes her to get to the high places and i want to explain the title too hind's mm-hmm. feet um, on high places hernard is british and she's british from like a long time ago and so hind she's referencing a doe like a female deer okay that's a british term and she uses other like terms like row mm-hmm. for buck yeah that, like we we as americans don't use but yeah. the idea is that much afraid is crippled but the deer can literally run up the mountain because they're ho- you know they're, they're they're sure-footed they're built for that yeah. and so the idea is like she wants hind's feet in high places, places. Okay. to All be right. sure-footed and to maneuver into like the places of joy and, and you know peace to get there. Yeah. So that's what the title's about. And you can see on the cover of the copy I have, there are two deer on the mountainside. Oh, okay. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> what a great interpretation. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, this is a 180 degree spin from the stuff we've done prior. Oh, absolutely. It's like you said, it, it's very... I don't want to say the other stuff that we've done isn't pure and innocent, but it, it really is yes. pure. Like when you said deer, I was like, ah. Ah, oh, there you go. They're so pure. Yes, you envision like a stag in the forest. <laughs> yeah, and, with like sunlight yes. and all that good stuff. But, you know, and when I chose it, I thought this is going to be tough for us because it's not literary. Mm-hmm. And the more we talked about it, it I, is literary. It's extraordinarily <laughs> deep and meaningful. And, and, it's, and it is the result of a craftswoman wordsmith producing something it's not just her sitting down 
and scrawling out a sort of self-help book. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is somebody who I think thought a great deal about the work. And that's what I love about our conversations because even though I chose this, <laughs> I came into it thinking, oh, this is going to be weird. Yeah. We always have an epiphany at the end of we something. Do. And the biggest thing I'm going to take from this is that this woman started a book with one writing style mm-hmm. and ended with something slightly different. Yeah. And to do that is is incredible and mm-hmm. it's skillful and I'm definitely going to read it. Yeah, you should. And it's that's weird for me because <laughs> <laughs> I shy away from anything Christian, but I'll do it. I know. Yeah. And you know, that's that's what I also wanted to choose the book um, and the author because I thought it would make, and we each have different perspectives when it comes to faith. Yeah. And it forced me to be uncomfortable. Yeah. That's Thank what you. I wanted. <laughs> you know, we got to talk about, we got to talk about black women in their hair. Yeah, that's true. A couple true. Of episodes ago. Yeah. So I was like, this is something this that I can punishment this, for making me talk about black hair. Like, you know, <laughs> I will say this. I, that didn't make me uncomfortable, but it was something that I was like, I'm not confident yeah. talking about. Yeah. And I was like, this is something that I wanted to test both our limits <laughs> yes. you know, on. Oh, God. Yeah, but I'm glad we did it. And I'm really excited uh, about the theme we chose. I can't wait for next episode. Oh, my episode's going to be very different than this one. Good. But I think you're going <laughs> Yeah, good. This is the last... Because rebirth has me- like millions of different meanings exactly. to everybody. We were drawing blanks for some reason after we show up, but like there, there are tons of meanings. Yes. I mean, we were talking about how we could have gotten into reincarnation right. and explored some really cool um, artists, but I mean, that could be its own theme in, it, in itself. In a future episode, we will be discussing <laughs> reincarnation. <laughs> Stay tuned, folks. <laughs> okay, so I think that we can wrap this episode up. Yes. But before we do that, something that I realized that we never do in these podcasts bum, bum, bum. is talk about our social media. La, la, Yay! La, 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 la. So we have a Twitter that I have not ever posted on. And we also have an Instagram, <laughs> which is really, I want to create this community mm-hmm. where like, we talk about writing, we talk about books. So I post about like what I've been reading lately. I try and take nice pictures. And then I also have a Writer Who Learns, hashtag Writer Who Learns series, where we talk about Ooh. literary terms and get smarter. And I post quotes about writing and reading. Oh. And yeah. So it's, I really want it to be like this inspiring community where we just like share stuff. Yeah. I think it's, I will say this, you've got a beautiful Instagram. Oh, thank you. I perused it for about half an hour the other day. See, you are full of it. Trapper is like, I'm anti-millennial. I don't know what social media is, but then he'll be like, this girl you have a crush on just like post this. Is she in your city? Go look. And I'm like, you don't have an Instagram. I'll what are you talking about? I'll never tell you. I don't know. But I do have my ways. And I say that you are a very good social mediatic Ooh, is that a compliment? <laughs> it is. A social maniac, I should have said. You're a social maniac. Yes, you're yeah. very good. And I hope people do. Yeah, take follow. The time to follow. So I should say the Instagram name is Writer Who Reads. So come follow it. You'll hear about when podcasts are posted. You'll just, you'll love it, please. It's basically like what? Uh, the world's longest newsletter. <laughs> yeah, it's just like whenever you want to see it, just come. <laughs> so yeah, this has been the eighth episode of the Writer Who Reads podcast. I'm your host, Kate Austin. I'm Trapper Kinchin. And thanks for joining us as we try to read a little more. Write a little better. And, and explore, explore the human, human condition, condition together. together.
R.I.P. Heather. <laughs>